Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So I think there are some serious risks right now to your retirement. What I'm talking about specifically is a 401k, or if you have a large portion of your net worth in your home equity or in the stock market. And it's not just about a recession. There's more to it than that. And I think there are these risks especially what we'll be talking about in the third risk, which are completely off radar. I think most people, this is a blind spot for them. So if you understand what's happening, if you understand the details, the nuance with the global economy, I think you're going to be that much more prepared and you're going to be able to have a better understanding as to what the probabilities are that the stock market or asset prices in general may come down or may continue to go up to infinity and beyond. You never know. We're only dealing in probabilities. There are no certainties. But let's shoot straight over to the Wall Street Journal. And this is the first risk that I think is kind of off radar for most people. And it's the housing market, but it's not what you think. You see, most people are saying, George, what are you talking about? The housing market? No, 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 no. No, no, month over or um, year over year, pretty much flat up a little bit. We did have a decline a few months ago, granted, but we've come back up and there's nothing to worry about. I get it. I get it. It's a real estate bubble. It's worse than 2006. You tell me all the time in your videos, but right now we're at all time highs. And there's no reason why it can't go any higher. I have massive amounts of equity. So I am rich, at least on paper. And at least I feel rich. This would be the argument. But I'm not talking about housing prices. I'm not talking about real estate prices yet. More on that in risk number three. But I'm talking about the housing market economy. You see, this is different. Now, the housing market economy right now is in the equivalent of the Great Depression, even though housing prices are high. Let me show you what I'm referring to. Following, well, first of all, the title, How the Housing Market Slowdown is Rippling Through the Economy in Five Charts. Following the Fed rate increases, spending and job growth in housing-tied sectors are struggling. Is it the Fed increases or is it the market increasing interest rates? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's debatable, but we'll save that or another video. You just got to ask yourself, if the Fed would have kept rates at zero when inflation went up to 9.1%, would the 10-year Treasury yield have gone higher? Maybe. Think about it. The 10-year Treasury yield was only at 4%, roughly, when CPI was at 9. So if the Fed would have kept rates at zero, I think there's a good argument that rates would have been higher on the 10-year, which means that mortgage rates would have been higher if the Fed wouldn't have done anything. So you got to ask yourself, did the Fed raise rates or did they lower them? How about that for a brain teaser? <laughs> All right, getting back to the article. Sales of existing homes fell to a 13-year low in October. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal estimate that a report a Wednesday from the National Association of Realtors will show sales fell again in November. Right now in Medellin, I've got my mom visiting from Las Vegas. She's down here for 10 days. And she is a real estate agent or was a real estate agent in Las Vegas up in Sun City. And she told me that the brokerage that where she used to work 
went bust. And that's with the housing market booming, but not, but the housing economy is in the Great Depression, you see. And she's done other things to subsidize um, her income and whatnot. Uh, she sells stuff on eBay and whatnot. But uh, you, the, the bottom line is realtors are in bad shape right now. So when you have transactions at a 13-year low, that means for every one house that's for sale, there's probably a 1,000 realtors. Now, I don't know that that's the exact number. I'm just using that so you understand the concept, right? But it's not just the realtors as far as this industry that is in a great depression. How about the mortgage brokers, right? I'm sure a lot of them are going bust as well, or a lot of them are having to find different jobs. And it's not just the real estate agents. It's not just the mortgage brokers. It's the construction workers. And this doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you look at how many millions of people are employed in the real estate industry, you see that this could have a dramatic, a huge impact on the overall economy. And this could be the trigger that takes us into a hard landing, which likely would make stocks or the value of your portfolio come down and could definitely impact nominal home prices. And that would be the equity that you're using, that you're planning on for your retirement. Or even if you're not retiring for heaven's sakes, the vast majority of most people's net worth is in either their 401k, their stock portfolio, or their home equity, regardless of what age you are. So let's look at spending on home furnishing. So retail sales at furniture and home improvement stores have plummeted. In fact, since 2023, they've been in the negative the whole year. Employment in select industries. So this would be furniture, home furnishing. This would be building material, electronics and appliances, retailers, like refrigerators, washing machines. Unemployment is not positive. This is not a tight labor market like you hear all the time. This is the opposite of that. This is when this is where we see employment, at least in this sector, going down to where there's job losses here. In fact, this goes all the way back to, well, again, 2023, when we start to see these numbers go negative. Electronics have improved recently to a certain degree, but it's still severely negative. Now, here is employment in select industries, different industries. You can see the trend straight down. This would be services to buildings, dwellings, and overall real estate. And then private residential construction spending. That's way down from where it was in 2022. Now it has rebounded, but it still went from almost a billion down to where it is today, 884 million. Housing starts, and this went deeply negative in 2022 and in 2023. And just more recently, we've just popped up positive. But this is going to impact all of these jobs in the real estate industry. And again, I think this is off people's radar, unless you work in the industry, like my mom, because most people just look at the housing prices and assume that mortgage brokers are doing great, or real estate agents are doing great, or home builders are doing great, when in reality, it's the complete opposite. And like the title of the article said, this could have serious ripple effects throughout the economy. Next, I want to look at commercial real estate. Now, most people think that the worst is kind of behind us, but I agree with this article, which where they go out and 
interview actual professionals in the business and they say, no, 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 no. If you thought 2023 was bad, wait till you see 2024. A few things I've highlighted here. Many landlords have been able to extend their loans often by putting in more capital, but a lot of those extensions are now expiring. The owners are losing hope that occupancy rates will rebound. Look, if you're an owner of a huge commercial building and you think that occupancy rates are going to rebound to what they were prior to the survey sickness, I'm sorry, my friend, but you are delusional. It ain't happening. Now, it doesn't mean that commercial real estate in the future won't be a good deal. It won't be cheap, but we're going to have to see prices come way, way, way down until they reflect the reality that those cash flows are never going back to where they were. In 2024, this gentleman, Scott Reckler, chief executive of RXR Realty, says it's game time in 2024. Owners and lenders are going to have to come to terms as to where values are, where debt needs to be, and right-sizing capital structures for these buildings to be successful. In other words, prices are going to have to massively come down <laughs> to meet the cash flows, and the debt's going to have to be restructured. And I mean, he, he puts it simply uh, that, well, it's further on down the article, and they put it pretty simply that these landlords, these building owners are just going to have a couple options because they're not going to be able to refinance. So their options are going to be pretty much, well, you sell the property at a massive loss or you just give the keys back to the bank. And that's not good for prices. But most of you, this is totally on your radar. So number one may be kind of a different way of looking at something, looking at the real estate market through a different angle. This could be a big risk, but this is a risk that I think is front and center with all of you. So now let's move on to risk number three. And actually, I'm going to give you a bonus risk after number three. So we're going to have four of them. But this is the risk that I don't think is on anybody's radar. And it's definitely something that we should be paying attention to. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options, Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Here is an article from Yahoo Finance, and they talk about a recent interview with Kyle Bass. They say China's banking system is in a free fall, and the country's real estate losses could hit $4 trillion. And again, that's according to Kyle Bass. So the key talking points, it looks like Chanos is chiming in on the China's real estate issues as well. Um, Josh, go ahead and write that down. I'd like to hear what Chanos is saying there. We'll use that for a future video, if you could pull up that interview. But key talking points here, China's banking se sectors in free fall, according to Kyle Bass, Heyman Capital CIO estimates China could see at least 
four trillion in real estate losses. Four trillion. And if you're saying to yourself right now, George, what are you talking about? I'm an American citizen. All my stocks, my entire 401k is in blue chip U.S. companies. And all my home equity is, believe it or not, in the United States. I don't have any home equity in China. So why should I worry about what's happening outside the United States? This doesn't apply to me at all. Okay. Did our real estate market apply to any other country in 2008, 2009? Did the crash in our real estate market impact the global economy, the global monetary system, the banking system? If my memory serves me right, the GFC stands for Global Financial crisis, not domestic financial crisis, not domestic real estate crisis, but global financial crisis. So my point here is if the United States real estate market can be the trigger, the catalyst that brings the entire global economy down, why on earth would China's collapse not do the exact same thing? Next key talking point, an unchecked boom in real estate development in China has led to a deep crisis. Now, you could also be saying, George, I get it, I get it, I get it. Evergrande, what's the other one? Something garden. Country garden. Country garden, that's right. Thanks, Josh. Country garden, Evergrande. George, we've heard this story before. I get it, I get it, I get it. But I don't think you understand the extent to the real estate crash that is possible in China, not just possible, likely playing out in slow motion, like a slow motion train wreck, right in front of our eyes and could get worse in 2024. So let this number sink in just for a moment. Josh, how many people are in China? What is the population of China? I'll, I'm not. I would guess it's around 1.5 billion. You've, have you got it there? 1.4 billion. 1.4 billion. All right, Josh, how many houses, how many apartments do you think have been built in China? It can't be more than 1.4 billion. <laughs> so I'm going to say 500 million. Try 3 billion. Oh, my God. At least everyone can have two houses, George. We'll be rich. Th- 3 billion. And I, and <laughs> I couldn't believe this number right here. Let me highlight it and read it right to you. The real estate crisis... And, and Bass is talking about in China, has left enough empty homes in China to house 3 billion people. And this isn't just according to Kyle Bass. This is according to a former top Chinese official. And the flood of unused supply will generate huge financial losses in the real estate. Y- you think so? Boy, Talk about a game of musical chairs. 1.5 billion people and 3 billion homes. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Wow. It's fun on the way up, but as soon as it starts to turn, look out below. So now you may be asking, I think this would be a great question. Okay, George, I get it. Kyle Bass is saying that the Chinese real estate market may take a $4 trillion hit. That doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, what wasn't the GFC and what we dealt with in the United States a lot worse than that? 
And, you know, let's say what we dealt with in the United States was $20 trillion, a $20 trillion hit. Well, if that led to the GFC, if we're looking at a maximum of $4 trillion in China, well, then maybe it will be a recession, but nothing like a GFC 2.0, nothing that's going to affect my 401k or my stock portfolio or nothing that would have enough systemic risk to impact my home equity in Texas, for heaven's sakes. All right. Well, let's just look at what it was in the GFC. Give it some context. Let's compare the two using real numbers. Okay. So right now, Bass is suggesting that China could run into a $4 trillion problem. What was it in the United States? 2008? Right here. That, and now I'm reading the article. That suggests China's banking losses could dwarf the $4 trillion in losses, those seen in the U.S. during the GFC when U.S. banks lost around $700 billion. So if $700 billion can be the catalyst to the GFC, which, by the way, brought the S&P 500 down by 50% in nominal terms, brought housing down by 50% as well. If that catalyst was 700 billion what do you think 4 trillion could do and just because it's in china irrelevant we're talking about the global monetary system we're talking about the global economy and just like the systemic risk impacted every single country outside the united states in 2008 it would impact every single economy outside of china in 2024 now there's one other thing that i wanted to point out a a bonus risk if you will this is something that I saw yesterday from the Wall Street Journal, going back there again. And this is something that if I own stocks or if, if, if my retirement was dependent on the stock market continuing to go up, I would be very concerned with. Not that I'd lose sleep. I want to be very, very clear. I'm not making predictions that the stock market's going to crash or anything like that. I'm simply pointing out risks that you're not going to see in the mainstream media that are worth thinking about. More Americans than ever own stocks. Pandemic, zero commission trading, created a whole generation of investors. Whole generation of investors or a whole generation of gamblers? Big difference. You see, in my opinion, a gambler is someone, first of all, most likely short-term, but a gambler compared uh, is concerned about one thing and one thing only, the price going up or down. They don't care about the underlying asset. And usually a gambler, their game plan is to buy high and sell higher. In other words, instead of buying a dollar for 50 cents, which is what Warren Buffett likes to value investing, they like to buy a dollar for $3, growth stock, GameStop, FOMO, YOLO, and hope that it goes to $5. See, I don't like to play that game. It's basically, they're just trying to find the greater fool. That would be a gambler. Where an investor comes in and buys stuff when it's cheap, sells it when it's expensive. Buys low, sells high. Gamblers buy high and sell higher. And I would argue that this increase that you're seeing is a result of people gambling, not investing. Regardless, look at this chart. And, and this is, for young people, this will likely come as a shock. 1989, 30% of households own stock. 30%. Compare that to today, where we're at an all-time high, just below 60%. So 
does the retail, inv- or, <coughs> excuse me, the retail gambler, does the retail gambler usually win or lose or long run? That would be lose. So this to me looks like a classic example of the market sucking in as many retail investor gamblers, excuse me, as it can before it does the old rug pull. I mean, look at what happened. We go from 30% straight up to 50, call it 55%, 53%. And that was, oh yeah, the dot-com bust. Then it goes down, but then people wake up in 2004. Oh yeah, boy, I lost everything, but let's get right back on that train because Dave Ramsey tells me that I've got to invest more in my 401k and that it's not about timing the market, it's time in the market. And I listen to Jim Cramer and all he does is say, bye, 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 bye. And so I'm going to go back in and then that percentage goes right back to where it was prior to the dot-com bust and then rug pull. GFC, S&P 500, down 50%. And then we bottom out in 13, go right back up to where we are today at a level even higher than .com and GFC. So I'm not saying that this in and of itself means that the stock market's going to crash. I'm just saying that usually as a prudent investor, you're going to analyze human psychology and you're going to want to fade it. That's why it's so hard to be a consistently good investor because it's very counter to human nature. See, human nature is when everyone's making money, we want to pile on because we don't see any risk. When ironically, that's the riskiest time to buy. And when things have crashed, when prices are low, then we don't want anything to do with them because we have recency bias and we think that the prices are going to continue to go down. That's why people are bad investors. So, In my view, if everybody is on one side of the boat, if all the retail investors are on one side of the boat, it doesn't necessarily mean that the stock market isn't going to continue to go up. It just means that I have to look at that with a healthy dose of skepticism. And I have to use some critical thinking there and ask myself, do I want to be on the same side of the boat as the vast majority of Americans right now? What are the probabilities that this is going to end well? All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. 